Welcome to Debrief by MedPro Group, an inside look at some of the 500,000 plus medical malpractice claims handled by our company. In this podcast, our claims experts share the interesting, unique, and often intriguing elements of cases they have handled. Ready? Let's begin. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Debrief. I'm your host, Travis Langford, and with us is Summer Heil. Summer, thanks for being on the show. Happy to join you. Thank you. So before we get into this really interesting case that you have for us, Summer, we like to get to know the guests on the show. So if you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes to give us a little bit of your professional background. Absolutely. I am currently the Division Claims Manager Midwest and the National Accounts Claims Leader for MedPro. I've been with the group since 2015. And prior to that, I was a defense attorney defending MedMal and other cases in Chicago. I have also been in-house counsel for a 911 and ambulance services provider, but I'm very happy to be at MedPro managing medical malpractice claims um, all over. Great. Sounds like you have a very broad background that's going to serve us well as we dig into this case that you have for us today. Absolutely. To get us started, can you share with us some of the background of this case, the facts that led up to the claim and the allegations that were brought against the MedPro insured? I can. This case is very unusual in that it is kind of two cases in one. The case I will say it dragged on for several years, and it started out as one kind of case and became something entirely different. Interesting. The MedPro insured was a pain management physician, very well qualified. The plaintiff was a young woman with a history of back pain. Knowing what we know now, the narrative that she provided about her injuries and how she sustained them and her back pain and how it came to be are kind of called into question. We have what I would call an unreliable narrator. But let me tell you first how the case started. All right, we're all ears. The case began with allegations that our insured pain management physician failed to diagnose cauda equina syndrome. The plaintiff alleged that our insured should have known that this patient who we treated for several years was going to eventually have cauda equina syndrome. The patient had originally come to our pain management physician seeking relief from back pain and weakness. Our insured clinic and the physician who was sued treated the patient with epidural steroid injections and with medications over the course of years. During this course of treatment, uh, she went to the ER a couple of times and saw neurologists and neurosurgeons there who did not find anything surgical. The patient had had an MRI, which showed stenosis at L4, L5, more than one would expect in a patient of this age, but nothing that the physicians believed would cause any major issues. So the patient was treated over a course of several years. And then after several years of treatment, the patient went to the ER after waking up in severe pain and unable to feel her legs. She was taken by ambulance to the ER and ended up undergoing an emergency decompression procedure for cauda equina syndrome. So when the case was first filed, the plaintiff alleged only 
that our insureds failed to recognize that her condition was deteriorating such that she would be at risk for cauda equina and paralysis. The allegation was that our insured should have referred the patient to a neurologist or neurosurgeon. Okay. So we're going to have a pretty broad range of listeners on the show. Uh, Some of them are going to be healthcare professionals. Some are going to be insurance professionals. Some are just going to be people who like to listen to these types of podcasts. So for those people who aren't in the healthcare profession, can you tell us a little bit about cauda equina? I know you're not a doctor, um, but you deal with a lot of these things on a day-to-day basis. Just help us understand a little bit more about cauda equina. Cauda equina syndrome is a pretty rare disorder that affects the bundle of nerve roots, which is called the cauda equina, which is at the lower end of the spinal cord. Cauda equina syndrome occurs when those nerve roots in the lumbar spine are compressed and that can cut off sensation and movement. It can affect bladder and bowel function. And if patients who have cauda equina syndrome do not get immediate treatment um, to relieve the pressure, it can result in paralysis and other problems. All right. So this is a pretty serious allegation against the MedPro insured. So tell us a little bit more about how the case developed and and move forward. So we prepared the case um, as a, a case alleging failure to diagnose cauda equina syndrome. So we had prepared this case and we're just about ready to go to trial with our experts supporting our insurance on standard of care, saying they did everything they should have done and that there was nothing that should have led them to refer the patient for surgery earlier in the care. And then the case completely changed. Okay. We found out about a month before the case was scheduled to go for trial that the patient was addicted to opioids. Um, She had gone into inpatient rehab for treatment of a heroin addiction. In addition to heroin, um, she had been abusing many, many other drugs. Oh, my. So the trial date on the plaintiff's motion before the court was stricken um, to be tried much later in the future. The plaintiff's attorney amended the complaint to change the focus of the case from an alleged failure to diagnose cauda equina syndrome to an allegation that our insureds overprescribed opioid medications, predisposing the plaintiff to become a drug addict. The allegation was that once she was weaned off prescription opioids, she then went on the street and began abusing heroin to treat her pain. Okay, so the initial allegation was the physician's supposed failure to diagnose cauda equina syndrome. Yes. But once they pivoted to allegations of overscribing opioids, was the allegations of the failure to diagnose cauda equina still part of the case? That was still part of the case. Okay. But it was almost as if a whole second case was brought in because there had been no allegation up to this date that there had been an overprescription of opioid medications. Okay. So we had to regroup completely, kind of uh, mid-case, or actually we were on the verge of trial. We had to go back and get experts to look at the prescription of medications, the prescription of pain medications throughout the patient's care, and render opinions on whether the care was reasonable. Okay. So not only is MedPro now defending the initial allegation, but now they're defending a secondary allegation of 
overprescribing opioids. Yes, and the damages were different as well. Okay. Um, the initial complaint was that because of the cauda equina syndrome, that the patient had incomplete paraplegia and had pain, but the allegations w- with regard to drug addiction were more in the vein of you've ruined my entire life. I'm a drug addict now, I'm in rehab, and I've lost everything because of my drug addiction. Those are definitely some significant long-term ramifications for the plaintiff. So how did MedPro pivot and adjust to these new and additional allegations? We had to reopen the discovery process. We had to look into the patient's background. Had she been addicted to drugs in the past? Had she been a drug user in the past? And we were able to find evidence that she had been. That was a double-edged sword because the plaintiff then took that to say, well, had you asked the right questions, you would have known that this patient was susceptible to addiction, was susceptible to abusing the prescriptions that were provided. And when you say you, you mean? The MedPro insured. Okay. So we had to look into her background, develop evidence as to the use or abuse of illegal and legal medications in the past. We also had to seek out new experts, um, both in the standard of care for a pain management physician and prescribing of opioid medications, and also into the whole science of addiction. And should our insured have known that this patient was highly susceptible? And if that is the case, how should our insured have changed their course of treatment? All right. So what were the findings? We did have expert support. We had expert support for all of the plaintiff's allegations, both as to the alleged failure to refer uh, the patient for surgery earlier, and also for the type and amount of medications prescribed. Something that was really helpful in our defense is that our pain management doctor, MedPro's insured pain management doctor, did not simply prescribe drugs. In addition to prescribing medications, our insureds were treating the patient with injections. They were uh, prescribing physical therapy and other ways of managing pain. So by having proof that the MedPro insured used other treatment methods besides just opioids, that provided support for a defense that the MedPro insured was not inappropriately using opioids to treat the patient's pain. Is that correct? Yes. It was also very helpful that the patient had gone to the ER a couple of times uh, during the course of treatment, had been seen by neurosurgery and neurology uh, during hospital visits, and those providers had also not found a reason to operate. Okay. So it sounds like We had good support of the MedPro insured's course of action in regards to the Cauda Aquina allegations. And we also had good support of the MedPro insured's actions in regards to pain management and prescription of opioids. So how did the case wind up settling? I I know that sometimes there's a settlement offered, sometimes cases go to trial, Where did this case wind up going? 
We ended up deciding to take the case to mediation in an attempt to work out a reasonable settlement. I'm not sure if all of our listeners know, but in most of our insurance policies, the physician has the right to decide whether to consent to settlement or not. Uh, If the physician would like us to defend the case through trial, we will do that. We are contractually obligated to do that. And if that is what we choose to do, we will put all of our resources into making sure that we put on the best defense possible. The physician in this case consented to settlement and was hoping to see the case settled uh, for a number of reasons. Our primary motivation in deciding that we should mediate the case and attempt to reach a settlement was in large part because of the national concern about the overprescription of opioids. Many people, many potential jurors have family members or friends who have become addicted to opioids. And in the mass media, there are many stories out there of patients starting out taking prescribed doses of opioid medications, such as for wisdom teeth or knee surgery, and then becoming addicted and turning to straight drugs when the prescription opioids are no longer available. Because of that narrative and because of concern and what we've seen around the country, we had concerns in this case that jurors might be very sympathetic to a young woman who finds herself addicted to pain medication such that she is going out on the street to try to find it. And we were concerned that that presented a uh, risk to our insureds. Sure. It makes sense. Uh, When you take a case to trial, you have to take into consideration the perspectives of the jury and what they may or may not perceive based on society and culture and so forth. So it makes sense to look at the situation and say, okay, if our insured is willing to settle the case rather than go to trial and we have that option, maybe that is the best option, not just for the MedPro insured, but also for the plaintiff. And there were a lot of reasons in this case for the plaintiff to want to resolve the case as well. I mentioned before that the patient had become something of an unreliable narrator. Looking back at her claims about how an initial injury had occurred, some of those were called into question knowing that um, plaintiff was also trying to say that there was a pattern of his drug-seeking behavior. The risks for us, though, were significant. The plaintiff hired experts to say that the patient would need several million dollars in future care, despite the fact that she was living independently after leaving inpatient rehab. The plaintiff had hired experts to come in and say that her condition would deteriorate as she got older. So they were going to present experts that would tell the jury that this patient needed millions of dollars in future care. So that was a big element of damages had the jury found against the MedPro insureds, the verdict could have exceeded the amount of insurance coverage. So MedPro decided to take the case to mediation. With the insured physician's consent and agreement. Okay. So how did mediation go? Was the situation resolved amicably? Was the MedPro insured happy with the resolution? Was the, the patient happy with the resolution? How did everything wrap up? 
I have heard it said that a good settlement means that neither side is entirely happy. I've heard the same thing, and it makes sense. Mediation is a compromise. The mediation was quite amicable. We had a very experienced, excellent mediator. We had reasonable attorneys uh, on the plaintiff's side who were willing to compromise greatly, especially in light of that large life care plan. And we were able to reach a settlement within the policy limits that protected the MedPro insured and allowed him to put this behind him and continue taking care of patients as he should be. I know that that can be a very daunting and scary prospect to be facing litigation where you as the defendant could be holding the bag, to say, for liability in excess of the insurance coverage that you have protection for. So to be able to come to a resolution where the plaintiff was taken care of, the defendant was defended, and the defendant then wasn't put in a financial uh, compromised position because the verdict was in excess of his insurance amounts, it sounds to me like that's a best-case situation. And I think we protected our insureds well here. And when I say our insureds, there was a physician, there was also the corporation who employed the physician and other physicians in that practice had treated the patient as well. This case would have been a battle of the experts. We had excellent experts defending our insurance care. The plaintiff had experts as well who were prepared to come in and say that our insurance overprescribed pain relieving medications and that they should have sought a surgical solution sooner, which would have prevented both the Cauda-Quina syndrome and addiction. Okay, so you said that this could have been a battle of experts. And it's obvious, based on what you've said earlier, that experts played a big role in this case. So can you explain for us what goes into looking for good quality experts? What does MedPro and the defense counsels that we work with look for when they're determining which experts we should use in any given case? It's very important that we find experts who are extraordinarily well qualified. We look at university departments. We look at publications. We look at education. We want to make sure that our experts' credentials are unassailable. We also look at potential bias. We will often see experts on the plaintiff's side who testify exclusively or almost exclusively for plaintiffs. We can tell the jury that, and we can suggest that there might be some bias there. Uh, is that physician on the stand earning half their income from serving as an expert, or are they taking care of patients 80% of the time, and then maybe earning some side income as an expert? All those things factor into credibility. When we look for experts, we want to make sure there's free of bias as possible. We like to see experts who have testified for plaintiffs as well as defendants because we don't want our experts accused of being biased either. Something that is very important for defense attorneys to do in this case and every case is to look at an expert's publications and also their prior testimony. We want to make sure that there has been nothing published by that expert and there has been no testimony by that expert that contradicts something 
that they're saying in our case. Because if the plaintiff can find something contradictory, that can be used to impeach our expert and damage their credibility on the stand. And of course, we do that for plaintiff's experts as well. And if there's anything out there that's inconsistent, we will point that out to the jury. Sounds like a pretty complex puzzle to put together. It is, but we have fantastic, experienced defense attorneys that help us do that. So what would you say is probably your biggest takeaway from this case? That a case can change completely in the middle. That when a case drags on over several years, it can start out as one thing and become something totally different. And although this happened before the COVID shutdown, I think we're going to see it more and more because COVID has caused such long delays in litigation. Trials in many jurisdictions simply didn't happen for a year or two. So cases were pretty stagnant for years during the COVID shutdown. And during that time, plaintiffs developed additional problems. Experts might have looked at additional theories. This COVID delay might result in us seeing more cases like this, where a lawsuit starts out with one allegation and as time goes on and a plaintiff develops additional issues, additional theories, a case can become something different entirely. And we have to be ready to pivot and react to that. Well, hopefully this case is a good example to our listeners of how MedPro can pivot and adjust in the middle of a case. We can and we did. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'm sure as the aftermath of COVID-19 continues to play out, MedPro will continue to pivot and adjust accordingly. Summer, thank you so much for spending your time with us on this episode. And listeners, join us again in a few weeks for the next episode of Debrief. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. I've been your host, Travis Langford. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more information about MedPro, including healthcare liability insurance quotes and risk management resources, please visit us at medpro.com. A special thank you to the MedPro Group claims, legal, and marketing teams for researching, screening, and reviewing episode content and providing marketing collateral and support for this podcast. Technical direction, music, pre- and post-production by Travis Langford. This podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice and should not be construed as rules for establishing a standard of care. Because the facts applicable to your situation may vary, or the laws applicable in your jurisdiction may differ, please contact your attorney or other professional advisors if you have any questions related to your legal or medical obligations, rights, state or federal laws, contract interpretation, or other legal questions. MedPro Group is the marketing name used to refer to the insurance operations of the Medical Protective Company, Princeton Insurance Company, Plyco Inc., and MedPro RRG Risk Retention Group. All insurance products are underwritten and administered by these and other Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, including National Fire and Marine Insurance Company. Product availability is based upon business and or regulatory approval and or may differ among companies. Copyright 2023, MedPro Group Inc., all rights reserved.